Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Hello? Aaron, it's Luke. Hey, Luke. Hey, you were a Ninja Turtles fan when we were kids, right? Yeah. Okay. Did you know that 30 years ago this month, the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles video game released for Nintendo? Oh, no, I didn't, but I loved that. Did you have a Nintendo? I did, yeah. You were rich then. That's what I said. <laughs> I used to watch my mom. My mom used to beat all the games. Really? Yeah, we would go to Toys R Us and pick out a game, and we'd take it home, and we'd just watch her beat it. My mom would have panic attacks if she tried to play video games. <laughs> my mom was amazing. I mean, my mom was amazing, too, just not at video games. Yeah, yeah, well. Okay. <laughs> you always offend my mom on, on podcast. It's a miracle she doesn't hate me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wanted you to know that that was 30 years ago this month was Ninja Turtles the video game. I appreciate you reminding me. You're so welcome. Okay. All right. Hey, this is our Batman episode, so... Oh, all right. Have fun. Thanks. We'll see you, man. All right. Bye. From Milieu Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Braun. This is Season 1, Episode 19, Dancing with the Devil in the Pale Moonlight. Today we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, June 24th, 1989. Hello again, 80s babies, and welcome to episode 19 of 30 Pop. I've been really looking forward to this particular week in 1989 since I first had the idea for this podcast way back in summer 2017. 30 years ago this past week was the release of what remains one of my favorite movies of the entire decade, Tim Burton's Batman starring Jack Nicholson as the Joker and Michael Keaton as the Cape Crusader himself. I love this movie. But before we dive too deep into that, let's talk about the rest of what was happening in pop culture this week. As I've mentioned a few times already, Fine Young Cannibals were still dominating the Billboard album charts with their record, The Raw and the Cooked, claiming the number one spot for the fourth straight week. And we really will get to it, but not for a few more weeks, as their reign is just barely halfway over. The number one single in the country was the hilariously bad Richard Marks tune, Satisfied. Now, I'll be honest. I didn't know Richard Marks had any big singles aside from Right Here Waiting, which will claim the number one spot in just a few weeks. And really, the song in and of itself isn't entirely terrible, although it's close. It's the music video that pushes it over the top. There's boxing and ballet and a weird librarian or something, and I can't even start with Richard Marks' hair. I posted a link to the video in the show notes and on Instagram, at 30 Pop Podcast. Check it out and you'll see what I mean. There were also a few super important album releases this week in 89. Most important among them, obviously, was the massive release, Looking for Freedom, by the man, the myth, David Hasselhoff. Yes, really. Give the title track a listen and you'll begin to understand exactly how Richard Marks had the top single in the country. A couple of actual important albums that released, though. 
the third and best-known album by the band Faith No More, The Real Thing. I'm mostly familiar with the one big single off this record, Epic, which you may remember for its hauntingly bizarre music video with all the lightning and splatter paint and the flopping fish and exploding piano at the end. It couldn't be more weird, but to this day, I love that song. Last, but certainly not least, 30 years ago this week was the release of Prince's soundtrack for Batman. I didn't learn to appreciate Prince's genius until much later in life, but I do remember loving this album so much. I don't know if that had anything to do with the music at all, or if my love for the movie just overflowed to the soundtrack. But either way, that's about as long as I can stand to go without getting into the movie. I sat down this week with honestly one of my favorite people on this planet. A young man who most accurately describes his own face as the perfect combination of Sylvester Stallone and Elijah Wood. My dear, quirky, Batman-loving friend, David Walker. David Walker, the biggest Batman fan I've ever known in my life. Welcome to 30 Pop. So glad you're here. Uh, I'm really, really glad to be here. You're maybe the only person I know that really like loves DC comics, which is just bizarre to me, but like you do, or DC comic characters. I don't know if you read actual comic books, but you follow Superman and Batman and, and that whole world. Yeah. And I know a lot of people who love individual characters from that universe, but like you're the only one I know that like really kind of loves the whole universe. And so, yeah, I mean, I like all comics, but I love Batman and I love Superman. You do. I love the Justice League. Well, we're not going to talk about Justice League today. We're going to talk specifically (laughs) about Batman 1989. 30 years ago, yesterday, as of the release of this episode, was the release nationwide of Tim Burton's. Batman. Yeah. I can't tell you how many people who listen to this podcast have been like, hey, can I be on the Batman episode? Because I loved Batman. But you're the one. I knew as soon as I started planning for the show, I was like, well, that's going to be a David Walker episode. So tell me about it. Tell me about your relationship to this movie. You were not even born yet, right? Yeah. I wasn't born until like November of 1990. So this movie had been out for a while. So the first time I saw it, I was probably like four. And it was just on TV and... I was just enthralled by and it. And I think you've told me this was the first Batman you ever saw. Yeah, this was the first Batman movie I ever saw. Yeah, so tell me about it. Well, it's, I love it. It's so cheesy, but it's also like, where is this? What's going on? The guys are wearing like 1940s zoot suits and hats. Yeah. And like in 1989, I don't know that many people who wore fedoras unironically. I was alive in 1989, and there weren't many. Okay, good. You know. Yeah. I just don't imagine a lot of fedoras being worn or whatever Commissioner Gordon's hat is in this. Yeah. <laughs> the bowler hat, I guess. But it's a solid, really fun, quirky Tim Burton movie. It is. It's, with Batman. <laughs> it is a true Tim Burton movie. And so you and I just watched it before recording this episode. I hadn't seen it in years, although I remembered it, I mean, to a T. <laughs> like, I forgot nothing, because I've seen this movie so many hundreds of times as a kid. But here's what I loved about it this time around. First of all, for me, it totally 100% holds up. I still love it today. I get that there's some of the effects and stuff that are like very dated, but I think a lot of people's problem with this movie when it came out was that they were changing the character of Batman to he wasn't a detective, you know, he didn't seem like a detective. But for me, when I watch it today, 
it does feel like the old like detective noir movies of the 50s and 60s and 40s or whatever. And so I actually think Tim Burton was really true, but he gave us the Dark Knight for the first time. Yeah, he gave us the Dark Knight for the first time. But also Batman is the one who does the science now to figure out like what chemicals are causing all these people to get the big smiles on their face from the cosmetics, right? Mm -hmm. Like so... Batman does detective work. Tim Burton doesn't show us any of the detective work, but like he's like, give me a list of the products to Alfred. And Alfred yeah. Alfred does a lot. Alfred does a little bit of everything. He yeah. does like everything. Like at the beginning of the movie, he picks up Bruce Wayne's pin that he just is like, I don't know where to put this. So yeah, I'm just going to stick glass. it in this He's just plant. following him around cleaning up after him. Yeah. Sort of manages his love life. Yeah. Gives him advice. I mean, tells Vicky Vale that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Let's like, talk Vicky Vale for a minute. Okay. So Vicky Vale, I mean, I was nine years old. She was a goddess <laughs> to me at the time. It's funny because I find Kim Basinger a little repulsive today. <laughs> there was something about seeing her in 8 Mile that like sort of ruined her for me. That wouldn't do it. I'm not sure I ever liked her in anything outside of this role. But in my mind at the time, she was a goddess. <laughs> I mean, she was one of the biggest actresses in Hollywood at the time. Like, to be in Batman with... Nicholson? Yeah, Jack Nicholson, not Jack Nicholas, because Jack Nicholas plays golf. I have to think through it every time. Yeah. And speaking of that, you know, Jack Nicholson got top billing in this movie. Yeah. Did you know that? That was part of his what? contract. The only way that he would do this film is if he got top billing. And I think it's amazing that, like, with Michael Keaton being Batman and the film being called Batman, yeah. it was Batman with Jack Nicholson and Michael Keaton. I mean, it's Jack Nicholson. Like, he's going to get top billing for most stuff. Sure, I get it. It's just an odd thing. It's very weird that, that the villain would get top billing right. in a movie about the hero. But here's the other thing I'll say about having just watched it. Okay, so Heath Ledger's Joker, everybody loves. The thing that was so amazing about Heath Ledger's Joker is that he made it so dark and so sort of twisted. And that's sort of what I'm looking forward to with the Joaquin Joker movie coming. Yeah. But like... I don't think I realized as a kid how twisted and how dark Jack Nicholson's Joker is. I mean, you just watch his portrayal of the Joker and he just kind of nails like the sideways thinking, just the crazy, like frenetic attitude and, and just the mannerisms that the Joker. The super, super creepy nasally laugh. I mean, yeah, like, like it is just creepy. And there's some stuff that you notice that Heath took from Jack. Absolutely. Like when Batman's flying the plane mm -hmm. and is shooting at him and somehow misses even though he has a targeting system like mm -hmm. Luke Skywalker. Like <laughs> it's like I guess Batman didn't use the force enough but he's flying in, he's shooting his guns which this Batman has guns also he kills a lot of people so people's complaints about Batman never killing. It's like he kills a lot of people in this movie. You say that I don't remember him killing a lot of people. I, I mean, mean there's the one thing where he drops the bomb out of the car and it blows up. A, it implies a, a, the death of a lot of people but like. Right. He for sure kicks one guy down a very weirdly tall tower. Yeah. <laughs> the buildings in this Gotham City are massively tall. <laughs> they are Every falling every, scene and there are plenty yeah. of them are like, you know, you're falling for like 12 seconds and you get about halfway down before you... Yeah, they're too big. They are too big. But yeah. I do like it. I it's fantastic. It looks, I loved it. It looks so, so good. Okay, so I know you've got some trivia for me. I took some notes while we were watching, but I do have some like fun facts. I did a little bit of okay. research before we watched tonight. So in the month of July, Batman's a huge at the box office, right. so it's going to come up quite a bit at our trivia night on July 16th. But I thought I would just for fun share with you a little bit of our trivia from our first trivia night, because this is one of my favorite pieces of Batman trivia. Okay. 
Now, I want you to imagine each of these people when I say this. These are other actors who were considered for the role of Batman. Other actors considered for the role include Mel Gibson, Kevin Costner, Charlie Sheen, Tom Selleck. With a mustache? With a mustache, presumably. I I mean, Harrison Ford. He would hate that. Houston native Dennis Quaid. Pierce Brosnan, Willem Dafoe, and this actor, who released a franchise sequel a week earlier, reprising his role as Dr. Peter Venkman. What? Process that out loud. Wait. Bill Murray was considered for the role of Batman. Can you imagine where the franchise would be? Or where Bill Murray would be had he played Batman in 1989? I mean, Bill Murray would probably be in the same place. I don't like, think that's true. Because if Bill Murray had been making action movies, he ends up with a whole different career. Any one of those people as Batman, and it's a whole different franchise. I mean, Kevin Costner would be... Terrible. None of those people would be good, <laughs> would be good as Batman. I mean, it's Dennis Quaid, not Randy, right? Correct. <laughs> I don't know that it's any less weird, though. <laughs> it... Mel Gibson, maybe, because this is Mel Gibson in the Lethal Weapon days. He was kind of a live wire at the time. Is this, this is before Waterworld, right? No, wait. wait yeah, Waterworld. Water that's Kevin Costner, that's but Costner. that's years later. I get my dystopian water or desert-based movies confused. Okay. I'm going to let you take a guess at this. This actor, who would eventually take over the role of Batman, auditioned to play Dick Grayson, also known as Robin, in the film before the character was thankfully written out. Val Kilmer? Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck auditioned to play Robin in the 1989 Batman, and then they wrote the character out. Can you believe that? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That Again, completely different career, completely different franchise. Completely. That not, and a completely different movie because... Because we've seen Batman and Robin, and it was not good. We don't talk about that one. So bad. So bad. Okay, so hit me with some of what you were taking notes on. So, first off... Lando Calrissian is Harvey Billy Dad. D. Williams, man. He, I mean, he really is so freaking cool. I mean, that's what I said like the first time. Like he's mm-hmm. talking, opens with a, him doing a press conference, kind of, and like so he plays he plays Harvey Dent, who's the district attorney, who's like this big chat, powerful lawyer, like really weirdly involved with a lot of stuff with the mayor. Yeah, the mayor and district attorney and Commissioner Gordon are always together. I get like Harvey Dent and Commissioner Gordon. Being like pretty close because you know he's got to prosecute the bad guys, but the mayor, yeah. Also, it's what was the name of the mayor in this movie? Who knows? Who cares? But it, what matters is that Billy D. Williams is so freaking cool. He's the coolest, and apparently he just is that freaking cool because it's exactly how he, he is play, in Star Wars. He's he, playing Lando. He's playing Lando. Actually, I don't think suit. he's playing Lando. I just think he's yeah. Being Lando Billy is D. Billy D. Williams. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, okay. So Billy D. Williams. What else you got? Batman moves really, really slow. Really slow. So From the slow. very first time it shows him, he's I mean, like... he gets shot immediately. Floating down, and then he just sort of walks up to these guys, and then he just lifts his wings for God knows why, <laughs> and they shoot him. <laughs> but yeah, every like fight scene, he just he takes his sweet time moving around. He never so, exerts energy. No, except for when he takes the stairs at the except end. Except for when he takes in the massive... <laughs> That's the funny thing is He's like a guy who has a grappling hook throughout the whole movie. He uses he it. He uses it later. When <laughs> Every, it's true. <laughs> he uses it like immediately after. He, and we know that it can reach the top of this thing because he does it while they're falling off yeah, they're of a tower. Free falling off of a tower. And, and he, he shoots it to the roof. But yeah. he, he walks every last one of those yeah. stairs to go up and fight. Also, one of the big things that a lot of people 
mentioned about Keaton was that he's not tall enough because mm-hmm. like Batman in the comics, and he's says, really not because there's he's, a scene where it shows him next to Vicky Vale, and it's like, oh, that's weird. He's, he's not shorter than her. <laughs> yeah, Batman's supposed to be around six four and like two hundred and twenty pounds. Mm-hmm. Like he's a big dude. He's like a house. What's funny though is when he has the suit on, the way they shot it, the way Burton shot he, it, he does he look pulls it off. Pulls it off. He looks intimidating. And, and, and as big. far as like playing the character, and I just mean the acting. His acting is fantastic. Yeah, I mean it's it's so memorable, and it's even like the like little bit actors in this movie that are basically extras. I mean they have one or two lines yeah. like. The way they deliver them, the two goon guys at the very yeah, beginning the, of the movie, like just I remember those lines and they they deliver them so perfectly. I love so, it so good. Yeah, and they keep saying the six foot bat, the six foot bat. Michael Keaton's probably not six feet tall. Yeah, the marketing, by the way, like for this, like made like over five hundred and fifty million dollars, which like today is like a billion dollars. Like yeah. there was cereal, there was yeah everything. Had Batman had the Batman symbol on it. Didn't necessarily have Michael Keaton on it, mm-hmm. but it had like the Batman logo, the one that everybody knows. The logo that's still on on so much. I mean, of the it was on the today. first poster. Right? Yeah, like I have no idea if that's true. But. I hope it's true. <laughs> but I'm saying like it's still the brand that people recognize. It is also the random print songs that you heard like in the background. I okay, so yeah, so let's talk about that. So the soundtrack for the film. Entirely done by Prince, the score entirely done by Danny Elfman. I can't imagine a better combination. I mean, this Batman theme that Elfman made, when you hear it, you're like, oh, Batman. Batman. You're like, immediately. Instantly, it's Batman. Like, oh. The way this was designed from everything I've read was that Prince was supposed to do all of the soundtrack, sort of all of the musical motif around the Joker. And actually, Michael Jackson was supposed to do all of the musical motif around the love story. So it was supposed to be all of the Bruce and Vicky or Batman and Vicky scenes. Those parts of the soundtrack were Michael Jackson and Prince had all the Joker parts. And then something happened and Michael Jackson wasn't a part of it. And so Prince had the entire soundtrack. While Danny Elfman had the entire score, which it's fantastic. People went crazy for Batman. So like you put in one of the best artists of all time, of all time it's going to be really, really good. There's a few other things about the movie that while we were watching it, I didn't mention to you. There was the creepy dolls in Vicky <laughs> Vale's bedroom. Yeah. So there's a scene where <laughs> Michael Keaton goes to Vicky Vale's apartment, or I'm sorry, Bruce Wayne goes to Vicky Vale's apartment and he's going to reveal to her that he is Batman. And it shows him next to this like vanity with a mirror or whatever. And there's one real creepy old doll just sitting out. And in the mirror, you see another one on the other side of the room. And it's like, what is that? It is. It is. I need to run away from this (laughs) creepy girl. Yeah. Because those dolls are very weird. Like one, like the doll that's on her vanity is just like this browned out, like yeah. weird doll. And then the doll's like in the she background. Pulled it out of like, like a this, house fire or something. Yeah, like it's it's a doll that sat in the dust bowl in the 30s and yeah. just like hung <laughs> out in a bowl of dust. From the Great Depression. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, creepy, creepy doll. Creepy doll. doll. Creepy doll. But there were some like really solid fashion choices by Bruce Wayne here. Let's hear it. Uh, my favorite look of the entire... Oh, but you better get this right. There is a right answer. Go ahead. <laughs> I hope it's right. But my favorite look that Bruce Wayne wears, it's just Bruce Wayne, is when he is uh, sitting and he's looking through the binder of like his parents' murder and he's wearing the black The black turtleneck. turtleneck. You got the right answer. High five. 
and the Levi 501s, I assume. What's funny is I always remembered those as being black jeans. I remember him being decked out all in black. And then when we watched that, I was like, oh, he's just wearing jeans. <laughs> but the black turtleneck, man. The black turtleneck. I cannot tell you when I was nine years old how cool I thought that black turtleneck I mean, it was. looks so cool that the black turtleneck inspired in me. This is a fun fact about me. When I was in sixth grade, which would have been a few years, we're probably in like Batman Returns by the so time like I'm in sixth grade. like 92-ish. One of the things I was most proud of in sixth grade was that I owned and wore a different turtleneck for every day of the week. That was part of my my personal brand in sixth grade was that I had a turtleneck for every day of the week. And and I'm telling you that the reason why I thought that was cool was because of Bruce Wayne and that black turtleneck. I mean, he looks good. <laughs> okay, David. <laughs> I mean, he does look good. Especially 30 Wait, years like, ago. 30 wearing... years ago, that it looked so yeah. cool. To a nine-year-old kid, that black turtleneck looked amazing. I mean, as a 28-year-old who just watched it, it still looks You're still really feeling cool. All right, what else you got for me? Batman's cowl. Did you notice like the whole time he's in the Batman suit, he has to move his whole upper mm-hmm. body. Oh, yeah. They fixed this, I think, before Batman Returns. Right. But Where they, he could they tur- gave he him could some... could not yeah, turn, turn his, his neck. Yeah. And, like, the whole, like, upper body just looked thick. Like, yeah. just like it was way too thick for it yeah, to be of I, any I, Man, I use. get, like, functionally, it's probably not a great bat suit. It looks great. Visually, it's my favorite one. It looks so good, but also at the same time, it's like, you know, like stage directions. Like, he has to... Walking around, he can't like yeah, just look. He down. turns like, from the waist. He to, turns from to, the waist. There's one part where he he looks up at the the cat. They're running away from the Joker's goons, and him and Vicky Vale, and uh, he looks up at the catwalk, and he just leans completely back mm-hmm. and just looks straight up. I'm like, that's weird. It is, but at the same time, at the time, it was like that was just the way Batman moved, and it looked so cool. Yeah. Like you didn't notice that it was because his suit doesn't work. <laughs> and that and it, like that's probably also the reason why he just moseys so slowly everywhere he goes. It's cuz he can't move. <laughs> the thing's got to weigh 150 pounds. Yeah, but, like, and there's like stories of all the previous Batman always saying to each other, "Hey, make sure you ask for this. Make sure you ask, when you're getting fitted for your suit, make sure you ask for this." Like there's stories of like Christian Bale being told to like, "Hey, make sure they put a zipper in the front so that you can go to the bathroom." <laughs> what else you got for me? <laughs> That's most of it. I did love the visuals of the whole thing. Like, yeah. It was just, a, it just was so beautiful. It's so vintage Tim Burton. I mean, it, it really, is, really is. Yeah. I think this is where the world really started to take Tim Burton seriously. And I may be wrong on that. That may just be where I started to. Because, I mean, Beetlejuice had already come out. Beetlejuice looks great, too. Beetlejuice is fantastic. But, like, Batman, it was the first time we had seen a kid's story told in such a dark way i mean like you know the world knew batman already but they didn't know the dark knight and they didn't know batman with like profanity and death you know yeah but it also isn't like overly dark that a kid should not watch it i know that when i was a kid i was watching it obviously because i had the turtleneck thing so yeah you did have the turtleneck thing anyway fantastic film cannot believe it's 30 years old yeah I and you're not 30 years old i am not but I'm so glad that you have such a deep appreciation for not only this character, but this particular iteration of the character. So, David, thank you for being on. Look forward to having you back in the future. Thanks.
I'm not sure there's any other person in my life with a deeper love for Batman than that guy right there. Nor is there a person who gives better hugs, by the way. Huge thanks to David for being a part of this episode. Friends, I'll be back next week for more fun, but in the meantime, as always, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow along on Facebook at 30pop or on Instagram at 30poppodcast. And subscribe to the 30pop mixtape playlist on Apple Music or Spotify, which I update every week with the top 40 songs from that week in 1989. Lastly, if you're in Houston, be sure to mark your calendar for July 16th when we'll do our next 30 Pop Trivia Night at Cafeza. And then July 31st when we're going to do a live show looking back 30 years at the debut of Saved by the Bell. You'll find details for both of those at 30pop.com. Thanks so much for listening. Until next week, keep in mind the words of Jack Nicholson's Joker, you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Milieu Media Group, visit milieumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1989 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>